2: I guess like many women, I'm a big fan of these great historical romances. But my love of all things Austen is just not confined to her works. I am a big fan of many historical romances set in the same era. There is just something about the clothes and stately way the well-off people of this time lived their lives that is fun for me to read about. The joy I find in Regency romances is shared by many people, including many teen readers. So I was happy to stumble across a new author that writes Regency romances perfect for a teen audience. Cindy Anstey's work is a perfect precursor to anyone who hopes to read Austin one day. And they also are so wonderful for anyone who just can't get enough of the Regency period. Anstey's latest work Duels and Deception is a great example of just how fun her novels are. Miss Lydia Whitfield's life is all planned out. Her father has chosen her husband, and her predictable nature makes her happy to accept so she can care for her estate and family. But behind the scenes, her uncle, who is serving as trustee, is ruining everything, and only Lydia can save her livelihood. Robert, a clerk for the estate's lawyer, wants to help her, but when Lydia is kidnapped, it's her reputation on the line. Avoiding scandal with the help of her friends, Lydia can't deny her feelings for Robert, especially when her intended fiancé challenges him to a duel. Together, Robert and Lydia devise a clever way out of the challenge, while at the same time foiling a devilish plot to bilk Lydia out of all her money, opening the way for true love's triumph. Anstey creates a character who's spunky and intelligent and then adds freshness to her romance by allowing her male lead to love her heroine for those exact qualities. The extensive cast of secondary characters adds great flair to the story and accentuates some perfectly unprincipled villains. The plot is well-paced, with just the right amount of scheming and backstabbing to balance out the thoughtful moments that address the themes of friendship and love. With a clear Regency setting, we here at Rachel's World know that this novel is certainly for fans of Austen, who are looking for a clean starter romance that pays homage to the era with just enough of a modern flair for contemporary readers to be engaged. On Worlds Awaiting, we
1: often talk about reading and writing. But what about the third R, arithmetic? Arithmetic is, of course, an essential foundation stone for all of science. And by all rights, it should be included in a broad view of literacy for children. Our first guest, BYU electrical engineering professor Aaron Hawkins, talks with Rachel about the growing field of science, technology, engineering, and math, the so-called STEM subjects, Hawkins emphasizes the importance of STEM education in children's preparation for future professional careers. He's director of Brigham Young University's Integrated Microfabrication Laboratory. Dr. Hawkins is also one of the founders of Immerse, an undergraduate research program that provides college students with the opportunity to do community outreach and education. The flagship outreach activity of Immerse is CHIPCAMP which brings 7th and 8th grade students onto the BYU campus for a three-day camp focused on engineering. Here's Rachel with Dr. Aaron Hawkins.
2: We're in studio today with Aaron. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you. As most of our listeners know, we talk about literacy really broadly here at Worlds Awaiting. And one of the literacies that I think sometimes we don't really talk about are those kinds that are related to the STEM fields, the the science, the technology, the engineering, and math. And you have some really great insights and expertise, so I'm excited today to chat with you about that. So to start out, let's talk about what are kind of some of the possibilities for STEM education, particularly for our children. What, what is the potential that those fields have?
3: I think going forward and even now, as children become adults and choose their careers, almost all of them will have something to do with STEM um, more and more. So having a background in science and math can only help them as they chart their path into the future. And um, a lot of STEM activity happens in teams. Very few scientists or engineers are working all on their own anymore. So um, teamwork is also an important STEM skill. Being creative and coming up with solutions that no one has thought of, obviously, is also important for all of these fields. And obviously, that can apply to lots of different problems, not just math and science and what you're trying to figure out. So if you are interested in creating new things or or, or solving problems in in any way, then then that STEM background obviously helps you out.
2: I agree with you totally that these um, fields are integral to more than just the STEM, yeah. the stem yeah. professions and fields they really right. have these basic skills involved in them but the the trouble is sometimes there's a real stigma <laughs> related to these fields or uh-huh. they're like I'm not a you ma- know I mean, I'm not a uh-huh. math person or I can't mm-hmm. do math or that's too complicated mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. so how do we kind of maybe overcome some of these barriers to help people understand the importance of these fields
3: well um one way we're trying to to do that is outreach problem uh, outreach uh programs for um kids that are quite young um to get them excited about these different topics and help them understand that there is a it's a big umbrella really there are lots of activities that happen that could be considered part of the stem field even a a very technologically centered company has um not just engineers and uh real scientists working for them but the whole marketing and HR efforts those all still kind of fall within that STEM umbrella because you still have to understand the the technology and the so you know maybe you're not the greatest at math or or science but there is still room within that STEM umbrella for you, if if you want, if you want to do it, and discovering that is, at a young age is is important because often, yeah, it does get dis- you're discouraged, and and uh, schools maybe don't do a good job at, at explaining what exactly science and engineering really is. What are careers like? You know, it's easy to understand what a doctor does or um, a lawyer, what they do. But what a scientist and engineer does all day, that's a little bit more vague and nebulous to people.
2: I I think that's a really interesting point to make, that sometimes it's the kind of nebulous nature of it, that there's so much possible Mm -hmm. that it makes it more tricky for us to kind of connect to where we would actually be. So allowing kids to kind of play around in the fields and to explore and Particularly, at a very early age, that kind of playful nature of what we would do things, I think is a really great way to do that. but you know I know there 's lots of talk about barriers for specific types of students with STEM, mm-hmm. so do you see that to be the case that there are specific populations that are particularly being having more barriers to getting into STEM education?
3: So we have difficulty recruiting and maintaining um, large number of females in our program. So for whatever reason, by the time female students reach college age, most of them have decided, I don't want to do anything engineering related, or I don't understand it, or um, it's not something that girls do. And we try to Fight those stereotypes and those ideas, but it it 's difficult if if they 've had that ingrained into them um, throughout their junior high and high school years.
2: Aaron, if you were going to coach a young person, if you were going to give them some advice let 's say you know they 're just beginning high school they 're a freshman in high school they 're looking towards their future. What kinds of things would you say to them about why they should be an engineer? What what kind of coaching would you give to them?
3: Or I think it's a great preparation for whatever you want to eventually do. Maybe um, being a working engineer is not your your goal in life or, or where you'll end up. But even if you go into law or medicine or, or you're a dentist or any number of of end career paths, having that foundation of solving problems, understanding um, math and science and the world around you is n- is always going to be a good idea. That is always going to be a valuable resource that you can fall back on and you'll have an advantage over those around you who don't have that understanding yet. So you can't go wrong with that path. And I always encourage my students that make decisions that will keep your your potential open and uh that will allow you to to make as many choices in the future as possible don't shut any doors until you till the last possible moment
2: well and even you don't shut your doors as an adult i mean so many yeah, of us the, change yeah. careers so right. many of us follow paths so i think that that is amazing advice and i i really would um encourage all of our listeners to take that to heart because that's how i coach my students too right keep as many paths Mm -hmm. open as possible particularly as a young person you need to try everything you need to see where your strengths and talents lie and you need to learn everything so i think that that is amazing advice as we close up our conversation today aaron um Maybe give us one idea or one takeaway that you think our listening audience should have um, about this idea of STEM education and encouraging our students to be involved in those fields.
3: Um, it's a background that you won't regret. And find someone you know that's, that is that is working in that area and use them as a mentor. Very rarely do you um, just fall into the field. Most people know somebody, some adult who is encouraging them um, along the way. So look around and find uh, find someone involved in STEM already and, and learn from them.
2: That is a perfect way to end. So let's hope that all those adults out there start looking for kids to mentor mm-hmm. and <laughs> kids looking for adults yeah. to mentor them. Thank you so much for your time today, Aaron.
1: BYU Electrical Engineering Professor Aaron Hawkins talking about the importance of STEM education in helping school children choose their life pursuits and careers. Next, Rachel welcomes high school librarian, Heather Price, who shares with us a glimpse of the world that awaits her every workday. What's it like working in the library with her students and what helps them become better readers? Price is the librarian at Sky Ridge High School in Utah. She has a master's degree in English with an emphasis in creative writing from BYU and is an instructor for BYU's independent study course in children's literature. Working in a library lets her interact with students, books, and technology, all of the things she loves. In her spare time, she writes fiction for young adults. Here's
2: Rachel and Heather Price. We're in studio today with Heather. Welcome, Heather. Thank you. Heather, you are a librarian extraordinaire (laughs) who, who works with teens, middle school and high school. Let's talk a little bit today about that experience. What is it like working in a library to help teens become readers?
4: It's amazing. There are days where I just, I sit there and think, how am I being paid to do this? <laughs> um, I tell people a lot of times it's like being the favorite aunt of the school because, <laughs> you know, you're the one that you hope that they come to for, you know, advice and, um, you know, to kind of get a, a break from their, their day. Um but for me, as a librarian, I think the most important thing is building that community, um, and there's a lot of ways as a librarian, you can do that. I think just being accessible, you know showing the students that you care um, that you're reading what they're reading, that you can geek out over what they're geeking out over. Um, in fact, one day i was I was feeling kind of guilty because i I don't tend to dress up for work <laughs> anymore. Um, you know, dressing up for me is a brightly colored pair of jeans and a Dr. Who shirt and Converse. Um, And I was kind of beating myself up over it. And uh, I had a little seventh grader stop stop me on the first week of school. And she said, wait, I know you. You're my librarian. And I just kind of looked at her. I said, well, I am. How did you remember that? She said, because when we came for an assembly last year, you were wearing a Dr. Who shirt. And I'm a Dr. Who fan. And I thought, you know, here that... That provided a point of connection for her. And for me, that's what it's about as a librarian, is, is making those connections with students so they feel comfortable coming to you for advice and for, you know, just not just reading advice, but, you know, for, with anything they're struggling with. I've always said the library should be the living room of the school. You know, if they're not in class, I want them there. That's where I want their home away to be, from home to be, is there in the library. So. I try really hard to build community there. I have a maker space um, so they can come and kind of tinker around with technology. Um, You can put out puzzles, coloring pages. You know, you always have those students that struggle making friends. If you put out a puzzle on a table, I guarantee you, you will have students making friends immediately. Um, Just, you know, just anything you can do to get them to to make that feel like their safe place at a school. I think that's the most important thing you can do as a librarian. And then, you know, building a reading community is going to to naturally evolve from that, I think.
2: I love that sense that when we move, before we move on to reading, it's developing those relationships. Yeah. And I think that's true, particularly of teens in any context, right? Oh, yeah. If we're an aunt or They have to learn mother, to trust you. <laughs> yeah, they have to trust you. And yeah. and I think sometimes, particularly when it comes to reading tastes and choices, mm-hmm. we can get in the way of our teens oh, yes. in a lot of ways as adults because mm-hmm. we look at ourselves as more sophisticated or we have these more sophisticated tastes. We either look down on their choices or we don't understand their choices. Right. And And particularly in high school too, the things that they're reading in classes are usually really highbrow stuff. right? And, I mean, we can go into our long conversation of whether that's <laughs> appropriate classics. or not. What, what is the role of the classics yeah, in a high school yeah. classroom which we both have very strong opinions yes. about. But, you know, I I think it's it's really a good place to have that kind of library, that safe place where they mm-hmm. can go. So you know, as we kind of talk about that, getting in their way, what are some of the things that we might do that might kind of get in the way of building that community so our teens can be better readers? Uh, you
4: know, I, I saw it firsthand when I, I opened a new library this last year. And during the open house, I was amazed at how many parents came up and said, oh, this is the library. You won't be spending any time in there or oh it's the library you're not my kids not a reader and i thought you know no wonder we have students who struggle with reading because they're listening to what their parents tell them and i think that's the biggest uh, oh it just breaks my heart when i hear people refer to their their student in front of their student as this is so and so he's not a reader well of course he's not because you're telling him he's not you know and i just say i usually take it as a challenge to say oh that just means you're picky And I just need to find you the right book because you probably aren't liking what everyone's forcing you to read, are you? And they usually look at me and go, no, I'm not. I'm like, okay, come on in. We'll we'll find you something.
2: I I love that sense of being supportive because I think sometimes we just don't think about it or we characterize things in a certain way or we lack experience with it. Mm -hmm. And so we're we're more apt to judge it in a certain way. And I think that we need to get over that, particularly as an adult's talking about our readers, and particularly our teen readers, because I don't think we give our teen readers enough credit sometimes. You know, sometimes we think, oh, we we need to prevent them from reading that book, or we need to protect them. And I get that. We do. They're still kids. We need to protect them. But at the same time, they're also maturing adults. Mm -hmm. And if we want them to be mature adults, to make really great choices, we have to honor that sense of choice and that sense of individuality in each of them and be the kind of safe place where they would want to come and you know talk about things if they encounter something that you know maybe isn't exactly what we absolutely. would want them to encounter yeah, yeah absolutely as we read a book. yeah um and i think a lot of times parents don't understand what their
4: students are reading because they don't know you know they aren't readers themselves at least of what their students are reading now so they're judging it based on what they read you know 20 years ago Um, so I, you know, a lot has been said about Twilight, but I think for the first time you had parents and students reading the same book together. And I think that's such a valuable thing because you do have those opportunities to have discussions where you might not otherwise. Um, so, so I always love it when a parent, when a student comes in and says, oh, I have to renew this book because my mom wants to read it next. And I'm like, good for you. You know, way to, way to get the word out there. I appreciate that. You can renew it as long as you want. So I think just that open dialogue is so important
2: and that makes it just so much easier, right? Mm-hmm. Because then you you can have that guidance. You can yeah. direct them. So, how do you do that? I mean, how do you direct kids to the right kind of books? I I love that sense of you're you're just picky. You're just picky. <laughs> you're, just picky. you're just picky. You need to uh, And there's nothing wrong with that, yeah, there's you know? not. And yeah. and you maybe you just haven't found the right book yet or you just haven't yeah. found something that speaks to you. So, how do you as a librarian do that? I mean, how do you figure out what is yeah. what is right for that picky reader? Oh, <laughs> you know, I think
4: you have to get to know your students. Um, and I usually ask them, okay, because, you know, if you ask them what the last book read, they read, they'll just say, well, I, I don't like reading. I haven't read anything I liked. Well, what movies do you watch? What are your hobbies? What, you know, y- you never know, you know, someone might mention that they really like paintball. Okay, Variant by Robinson Wells. There you go. Yeah. You know, I have a book that involves paintball and they're kind of looking at you like, really? You do? Yeah, I do. I think it's just, you know, being a little persistent, you know, not not taking their first uh, attempts to shut you down. Um, but I think it, you have to get to know your students and again build that trust. And usually, if you can recommend one thing that they like, they'll come back. You know, yeah. they'll they'll trust you. They'll they'll come in and say, "What's next?" You know, and that that's when you know you've done your job is <laughs> yes. when they come back and say, "So I I like that one. Do you have anything like that?" And but yeah, it, and it's hard. It's you know because you do get some readers that have just been shut down for so long that they are very reluctant to trust you to recommend something. And I usually tell them, give it a chapter. You know, take it for your test drive. That's what I always say. Take this home. You know, here's two or three. Whichever one you can't put down, that's the one you should read. If you're making yourself slog through it, it's not the book for you. Life's too short to read boring books. I always tell them that. Good <laughs>
2: advice. Excellent <laughs> advice. <laughs> if you don't love it, bring it back. I'll get you something else. No problem, you know. Well and that's the wonderful thing about particularly YA literature today is there really is something for everybody. Oh, yeah. I mean oh, yeah. I mean I very rarely cannot find a book that matches a reader's interests and needs, mm-hmm. you know. It it it's very rare that yeah. there's nothing out yeah. there, right? I mean if there's a book about paintball, you've got yeah. something for everybody, right? You've got all of those kinds of things. But I think one of the tricks of that is that you have to know the scope of the literature, right? So that's our like secret librarian superpower, right? (laughs) Because
4: knowing what's out there. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So how do you keep up? I mean, how do you, how do you keep up with all of this as a librarian?
4: (laughs) Twitter's your best friend as a librarian. I I follow a lot of authors and publishers and agents um, just to kind of keep on top of what's out there. Um, I ask students what they're reading. You know, I have a book at my desk. My students know they always come up and say, where's the book book? Because that's where I keep their lists of things uh, that they want me to buy Um, And I just, especially as I was building this new collection for my high school, um, I really tried to focus on what are students going to want to read? You know, it's not the old research library anymore. You don't need huge, you know, history sections so they can write research papers. I got sheet music. Um, I got everything made by Make Magazine, all of their kind of how-to manuals on Arduino and solar panels and electricity and I really just tried to focus on what, do my, what are my students going to want to take home? You know, what are they going to see on the shelf and be like, I have got to take that home. I can't believe they have it here in the library. So it was kind of a different mindset for me starting fresh, which was really exciting and daunting and scary. Um, but to say, you know, what what do teenagers really want? And I, I hope that I've built that, you know, and, and, and then it's PR. You know, you got to promote it. I'm, I'm very active on Instagram. Um, trying to build that community. Uh, when we get new books in, I'll put it on Instagram. If I'm reading something I love, I put it on Instagram. When I get new boxes in, I'll send it out, and within three or four minutes, I'll have students there at the school to help me unpack the boxes <laughs> before we'd even open the doors. I had students showing up saying, "Hey, you got a shipment of books today. Can I help?" You know, and and it all goes back into you know building that community and helping them feel a part of it, which I hope they do.
2: And I think they do. I mean, I've I've seen you at work and seen your <laughs> library, and it, it's in this wonderful brand new school that just opened. And I just I think it's amazing that we kind of make this the center and heart of yeah. our schools. So ne- when school starts up or yep. when you're in school, Call reach your out, librarian. You, read out your <laughs> librarian because you'll you'll have a good friend that can yes. help you support your child's development in amazing and incredible ways. Thanks, Heather. Thank you.
1: High school librarian, Heather Price, sharing the tricks of her trade as she enthusiastically works to help students become good readers. Finally, Cole Wissinger, a member of the World's Awaiting Team, talks to Cynthia Barlow. She's the author of a new children's book entitled Cosmo's Campus, which features our mascot here at BYU, Cosmo the Cougar. Here's Cole with Cynthia Barlow.
0: I'm always interested to hear about how people got the ideas for their books. Could you take us back and tell the story of where you got this
5: inspiration? I was a student at BYU, and while attending BYU, I would walk through Wilkinson Center every day. And I noticed that there isn't any children memorabilia. And one day while our family was at a a BYU basketball game, the children said, Mom, where's Cosmo? And that's when I was inspired, Um, you know, your mind just goes, and I was thinking, oh my gosh, Cosmo's campus, and and it's it's somewhat like, you know, I Spy Nephi and Where's Waldo, where he takes you on a tour of his campus, and he's in every illustration, and so um, it's somewhat of a picture book where you're, you're looking for Cosmo.
0: And Cosmo, for those of you not familiar with BYU, is the name of our mascot, the cougar that shows up at football games or pep rallies and so on. He's a pretty visible part of our community. And we have a great community here for BYU, uh, but who did you
5: write this book for? I believe th- that any BYU current BYU student or alumni wouldn't love this book for their children. Because as you're looking through the book, it it's very nostalgia, brings back memories, and so um, the book starts off with introducing Cosmo at the BYU sign, and then takes you to the Paleontology Museum, the basketball game, for example, the Bell Tower, the Fine Arts Center, the BYU Library, the Joseph Smith Building, and at the end of the book, you um, Cosmo ends his tour while riding in a golf cart and waving goodbye in the sunset towards the oldest building on campus, which is the Carl G. Mazur building. And Carl G. Mazur was the founding father of BYU and had a vision um, and wanted everyone to have the opportunity to learn. So I thought, what a fitting way to end the book by Cosmo paying tribute and honor to Carl G. Mazur.
0: As a mother, um, (laughs) with your own children and, and seeing kids gravitate towards different kinds of picture books... Um, What do you think it is about these visual kind of books? I I remember going to the library Mm -hmm. um, in my elementary school and just picking out the I-spies. Those are the ones that couldn't stay on the shelves. Mm -hmm. What do you think these visual literacies have to help young children? Mm
5: -hmm. Well, Cosmos Campus is beautifully illustrated. The graphics are very colorful. They're large. And the text is also in bold, and it's easy reading. It's not, you know, long reading per page. And so I believe that it keeps the reader's interest longer that way. And it has cute, you know, there's cute parts throughout the illustrations. Um, like the bell tower has a snow scene winter wintertime. The football game, there's different things going on in the background in the crowd. You know, like there's beach balls being thrown and signs and the cheerleaders are being tossed. And in the background, you can see the Y on the mountain. So just throughout the, the book, there's just fun things that you can see in the book that bring a smile to your face. Mm-hmm. So I believe it brings that warmth and inviting feeling of wow, this is a family, and that's part of the passion that this is a family.
0: These drawings are so beautiful. How did you come in contact with your illustrator?
5: Well, I just started asking around. Um, I believe the more that you talk about your passion and what your what your you know your vision or what you're seeking, that people come into your life. That are helped, there to help you with your vision, and I met an illustrator and told him about my idea, and he did an eight and a half by eleven acrylic, and it, it was just beautiful. I love the colors; they're so vibrant, and the texture that he presents in the book with his acrylics, and and so yeah, it just worked out really well that way.
0: That's good, but there must have been some challenges that came with the territory as well. Getting a first book off of the ground, could you talk a little bit about some of those? And then knowing about those challenges, where do you go from here?
5: When the idea came into my head um, of, about the book, I knew that I needed to write a business plan in order to get my license with collegiate Licensing Company, get the ISBN number. You know, there's a lot of different things in in bringing your book. To light to um, accomplish that vision that you have, and and so I just took one step at a time. But I do have other ideas. My second book idea, which I'm really excited about, is too, where that it's just not Cosmo on campus. He explores the world.
0: Ah, and mm-hmm. that goes right along with the the slogan here at BYU is to enter. Yeah
5: enter to learn, go forth to serve. Yeah, and which he's going to go mm-hmm. forth
0: out to everywhere and exactly and help the world learn. Yeah,
5: That's exactly.
1: Cynthia Barlow talking to Cole Wissinger about her new picture book entitled Cosmos Campus and her journey to becoming a first-time author. Thanks for listening to World's Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. and weekdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern On BYU Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 143, on the TuneIn app, and at byuradio.org.